Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting with me, your host, Chris New. Today's podcast is the fourth in our third series of podcasts titled Optimism with Caution. As always, we aim to provide insight from key players of the wealth and asset management industry and what it means to run and operate an investment management business as the industry looks forward to refocusing on a post-COVID world while also adapting to a post-Brexit era. Today's topic, new asset classes and new products, creatively building new funding mechanisms for the economy. So what does that mean? Well, the wealth and asset management industry has actively promoted the integration of private markets in the form of new asset classes and fund structures in their product range. In this episode, we will explore what prompted that trend and how it is foreseen to develop in the next few years. Against this backdrop, we're going to explore the rise of the crypto asset offering for wealth and asset managers from a strategic infrastructure and development viewpoint, and what, if any, lessons could be learned for the other new asset classes. Coffee Meet is very lucky to be joined over Zoom by two senior players who will be key in delivering this asset class to the Wilson Asset Management in the coming years. So I have with me David Olson, representing FinTech. He's Vice President, Europe and Asia, and Global Head of Institutional Distribution at BlockFi. Good morning. Welcome, David. Morning, Chris. I'm also very lucky to have with us Sven Werner, who is uh, representing traditional banking and custody innovation. He's Global Product Manager, Digital Product Management at State Street. Good morning, Sven. Good morning, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, it's a coffee meet, so I hope you have your coffee ready with you, keeping you awake at this early hour. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coffee in hand. We're still over Zoom. As always, we'd like to kick things off with a bit of an introduction, uh, your elevator pitch, your career journey into WAM, and more importantly, uh, the digital and crypto space, as well as what you're passionate about in terms of innovation and, and crypto. So, David, maybe you can kick off and tell us how you got from investment banking yeah. to uh, fintech. A- a- absolutely. So I started my career in trading at prop shops and a hedge fund, and then moved to Merrill Lynch in New York, where I was on a structured finance and structured products desk. And as Chris, I was lucky enough to move to, to London right before the financial crisis hit in 2007 and have been here ever since. I, I started at a desk there and then moved to, to Credit Suisse and equity derivatives to do the same thing. And I actually spent my last bit of time at CS in, in wealth management for ultra high net worth. Blockfi contacted me last year and asked me if I'd be interested in the, the position that I have now. As I did more research, I spoke to Blockfi's investors. I spoke to their clients did my due diligence. I came to two conclusions. One was that Bitcoin would be very, very important in an era of helicopter money and devaluation of fiat currencies through the central bank money printing. And two, that blockchain was the future of finance. And those two strong beliefs led me to end up diving into fintech and, and digital assets for full time. And I can say that I haven't looked back at all. It's been just a thrilling ride. You're always looking for a new challenge. You're always looking for the thing that no one else is thinking about. Sven, your journey in finance house, you're on the cutting edge of things over at State Street. I was born and grew up in in Germany, actually, eastern Germany, behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, as soon as I finished my studies in Frankfurt, I decided to to move to London and worked in various uh, financial services organizations from there. Also spent working two years in in Asia and Hong Kong, as well as in the US and, and Boston. And always looked at capital markets, but really from the perspective, how do they actually operate? How does it all fit together? How do various financial actors make their decisions and and make sure that their investment portfolios 
are managed in the, the most effective uh, way. And if you really look back over the last uh, 10, 15 years, it's around reforms to the financial crisis in terms of Dodd-Frank and EMEA in Europe, you know, requiring new collateral services, looking at market initiatives, trying to create greater levels of automation and less risk. And always you have to use technology in, in a clever and smart way to uh, achieve yeah. your objectives. And what intrigued me around crypto is really uh, technology change and the possibility of very new market structures being at the center of it. And that is uh, unique. It's interesting. It's challenging for all of us. And I'm, I'm glad to be part of that change. And so what I'm trying to figure out is if you now have that new asset class, call it digital assets or call it crypto assets, what does it mean to a custodian, which is an intermediary, when a big part of the crypto thesis is the decentralized and therefore less intermediated market? So basically, I'm trying to find what is the value proposition for an organization like State Street in the long run? And how can we make sure that we remain relevant and provide good services to our clients? Essentially, you're a futurologist for State Street. Which, if I can put it into one word, which sounds like a very interesting responsibility and, and role. And I hope it's more than crystal ball gazing, but there's an art to the science. Absolutely yeah, agree. Exactly. Well, if you're right, then it's, it's definitely a science. So diving into the topic, there's a stunning IPO from Coinbase, CryptoX Asset Exchange, which is being seen by many in the financial media and finance world as a milestone in, in crypto assets becoming mainstream, especially given the size of that valuation, although it's not without debate. So State Street have recently made some pretty large announcements about entering this space. So maybe Sven, you can give us some insight into what are the drivers behind State Street entering this asset class? Why have you suddenly decided to take the leap? So why crypto? It's an interesting question, especially if you look at the backdrop and two, three years back, the uncertainty whether it's a fad or to stay. As an organization, we very much believe in the transformational impact digital assets and technology such as blockchain will have to the industry. And crypto, in a sense, is, is a use case. There probably will be many more, maybe even more interesting ones, but it's important to start looking at that space and getting actually experience and solving some real problems because there's a context to crypto that impacts the asset management industry. So nothing of this is new, but it's worthwhile sometimes to remind ourselves that why we are interested as an institutional participant in that space. One is the move to passive investment strategies and with that, the fee compression that managers are subject to. And so we all have to be more efficient and deploy technology. There's therefore also need to seek alpha in at times when markets are highly correlated. And in a way, crypto also enforces some trends or speaks to trends that have been in the industry way before that. It's crypto in, in a sense doesn't perfectly meet those requirements, but it's a good way of uh, looking into this. And to give you an example, being around the aspect of the direct interaction between the two asset managers for trading, such as repo or what have you, without necessarily an intermediary in there. And in crypto speaks to this because it allows you to create these peer-to-peer -peer structures very elegantly. And then you shouldn't underestimate, at least in my perspective, the more or the bigger secular trend around how millennials think about investments. They looking for a different user experience. They want to be more self-governing, more self-servicing. And all of those aspects come together in, in crypto. And so if you as a custodian bank manage and maintain the safety of assets, if the very definition of those assets is changing or you have a new asset category, obviously you have to take it seriously and get engaged. 
So it's more than just big pressure. There is that element of cultural change is really interesting. David, can you maybe, for those listeners who aren't familiar with BlockFi, maybe give a a very quick idea of how you provide a new funding mechanism and interact with crypto assets, as well as interacting with the wider asset management industry and institutional responsibilities within BlockFi. Absolutely. So it's important to start with the idea on which BlockFi was coined, no pun intended, that our CEO, Zach Prince and and co-founder, saw that there was a gap in the market in terms of offering financing to holders of Bitcoin in 2017, when the price had really run up. And that unless people wanted to sell it, there was really no way to monetize any holdings of Bitcoin. So he thought there should be a mechanism to provide financing. And that is also, if you look at kind of capital markets from a macro perspective, being able to provide liquidity is is one of the key kind of traits of a market going from walking on four legs to two. There has to be some way for participants to get liquidity. It started out on the retail side where our clients could get crypto back loans. One of our investors who is a proprietary trading firm and they make markets uh, on digital assets exchanges came to us and said, hey, it'd be really interesting if we could borrow some of the coins that have been placed with you by your retail investors. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. We can pay yield to our retail investors and share in the benefit of the interest that we'll earn when we lend the coins out. And so that win-win situation for the institution, they get liquidity working capital that they can use on the exchanges that they make markets on. And for the retail investor, they can get a yield on assets in a low interest rate environment where yield is very scarce and hold on to their, and obviously hold on to their Bitcoin or other crypto. So that's kind of the genesis of BlockFi. And then on the institutional side, we've scaled up now to where we have over a hundred active clients that we talk to day in, day out, probably triple that number that have onboarded. And some of the largest financial firms in the world now doing business with us. A lot of this is what you just alluded to is about the market evolving and getting mature, as you said, walking on two legs, is essentially what State Street coming in, that gives it credibility. And sure. then within that, you need that liquidity, which then provides, I mean, I don't know about the ETF space, you see a lot about Bitcoin, and let's call that crypto assets, which have ETFs and that allow, will that allow other traditional asset managers or asset managers who are looking to provide that offering to their clients? Is that the facilitating role that firms like BlockFi play? An ETF will be interesting. There's multiple paths now for retail to get access and institutions to get access to Bitcoin. So you have obviously the spot market, which is more complex to get access to. You have to onboard to an exchange or you can have your own address and your own keys, but that's a pretty big lift. And then onboard to exchanges. Most institutions would like to come through an intermediary like BlockFi or Coinbase or others. And then obviously you have futures, derivatives that reference Bitcoin, which a lot of institutions participate in. There are various funds like ETFs that give institutional investors access and perhaps retail over time. The reality is that an ETF should accelerate adoption and also accelerate liquidity and reduce kind of the funding constraints in the market because it allows a much wider swath of actors to come into the space. And that accelerating adoption brings me to my next question, which is around, at the moment, all these ETFs and these derivatives they're referencing cryptocurrencies, primarily Bitcoin. Now, a lot of the appeal to me, it's not just about exchanging or replacing currencies, it's about that you can add in things, whether that be voting rights, 
corporate actions, the asset servicing, where you really will gain the efficiencies and prevent the errors or, or all those good things. Where do you see this asset class evolving in terms of crypto? It's quite difficult to generalize in terms of crypto as a single asset class. Increasingly, we'll have to, as today, you look at uh, developed emerging markets, so there will be different uh, risk profiles attached to those and also the, the level of, as you said, uh, programmability or using this for DeFi uh, concepts. But just to pick up on something, David, that you mentioned in terms of the birth of BlockFi, this was also in this way important to think about how an institution investor needs to think about crypto more broadly. Is when I look at our, if you want, watershed moment when, when crypto came to the forefront, was exactly what you're describing. Traditionally, the Bitcoin market was very much a you buy and you sit on it, people call hodling. But increasingly, we saw, for instance, endowment funds that traditionally received gifts from, from their alumni in the form of cash or checks are now receiving uh, Bitcoin because the alumni nowadays makes their money uh, on Silicon Valley and no longer on Wall Street. And that created that need for this organization to either sell them or find a way of actually refinancing them so that they would have an opportunity to stay engaged in crypto, but still can access um, some of the value in that. And that creates that need of moving away from just I hold it and I sit on it. And that's the end of the story into how could this become a liquid market that has a level of uh, financing. So today, if you think about what we do in a, a custody site, we provide uh, the, the ability for clients to hold their assets. But we're also then providing securities lending services to give additional revenue streams to investors. And now you have that same concept with an organization like BlockFi that allows you to also monetize your crypto assets and stay engaged. And that's really interesting. Organizations will increasingly see then the, the crypto market also, which asset provides me an additional return because obviously they all differ depending on the attractiveness of the asset. So in terms of, we're talking about risk management for, for sort of crypto assets, which is right. a day-to-day pragmatic reality of, of having this as an asset class. With equities, you have a price at the end of the day, you can then make a, a margin call. So if we're talking about financing or even cutting a nav on that type of asset, that's, that's a fairly well-trodden path and everyone's very clear on that. There must be a, a completely different scenario from the crypto asset. That's actually a really good question. It's such a fragmented market. So you don't have, obviously with Apple stock, there's one place that Apple stock trades, one thing trading on one exchange. Now you have this, especially for Bitcoin, for example, trades on probably a hundred exchange or more, probably 40 of those are irrelevant. And so what is the price of Bitcoin at any particular time? And so there's some very complex indices, for example, crypto facilities, which is the provider for the CME, they calculate it in a way by taking a weighted average across different exchanges and excluding certain outliers. And Coinmetrics is another one. Eventually, we're going to get to a place where things like TCA are very important to institutional investors. We're not quite there yet because saving five basis points or 10 basis points on an asset that's going up 300% over a few months isn't particularly compelling at the moment, but we'll get there at, at some point. And is, yeah. is that what you're finding, Sven? People are getting comfortable with their ability to price this asset. Is this where the innovation is in terms of technology? With blockchain, is we haven't really discussed that, but that's fairly well-established 
principle in terms of decentralization and encryption, but in what is the next innovation? Is it the technology to manage this uh, as an asset class? There are two questions in it. As I think the, the first and big one, the $1 million question really is, David, as you said, like, what's the price of Bitcoin? And that's one of the areas that is still somewhat unresolved in terms of some of the crypto ETFs. This has been an issue in the past in terms of, yes, you can observe prices at numerous exchanges that are trading Bitcoin, but are these prices as reliable as the price you get at a regulated stock exchange, which has an auction and is subject to various supervisory rules? And it matters for multiple reasons, because if you want crypto assets be part of the portfolio of a regulated fund, like USIT or 40 Act Fund in the US, that you have to strike an F. And for the NF, I need a price. And so there's a whole debate around, is it just good enough to take an average price across a number of liquid crypto exchanges? Or do you need to go further and have a way to adjust your price in, in order to ensure that it's really a tradable price and you factor in liquidity? We need more maybe market experience and agreed standards how you would actually arrive at that tradable price. And David, what you mentioned on TCA, that's exactly the next consequence. Once you have that, then you want to make sure that a fund manager is actually executing the prices at something that is adjustable. But that's not so much about a question of technology. It's very much a question around market convention and ensuring that now there are proper rules and governance and how people trade and therefore that the prices are reliable going forward. A lot of the innovation from a technical side, if you want, from my perspective, is more broadly, when you look at not just crypto, but blockchain, more broadly, some of the questions on scalability and privacy for distributed platforms. What's quite interesting at the moment to see is the emergence of the, the prime brokerage model, that kind of function, call it prime broker or call it a, a clearing house of some nature in crypto markets will be needed to make uh, the crypto trading more professional, but that would be my guess for today. Do you want to reply to that as, a, as an ex-prime broker? I mean, I totally agree with Sven's sentiment. And there's been uh, a lot of fervor around decentralization as a theme and returning power to the people or to the end user. That's definitely something that's important. But at the end of the day, humans like centralization and you can buy your clothes on eBay and go through the hassle of finding what, doing peer-to-peer -peer shopping and finding the things that you need. It's easier to go on to johnlewis.com. So for institutions, they also want centralization. Crypto may only be two to 5% allocation of their overall portfolio. And so the idea of actually onboarding onto 10 different exchanges and then having three custodians and doing everything themselves isn't quite as appealing. So that's where Prime brokerage for crypto comes in. One of the advantages of crypto is that you can disaggregate and you can say, I want State Street as my custodian. I want to have BlockFi as my liquidity provider and, and giving me leverage. I might want to have somebody else doing execution for me. So you can disaggregate. And then all of these pieces, you could say, I want Firebox or Curve to be my secure network to be able to transmit between exchanges and BlockFi and State Street. For a lot of institutions, it's just that if crypto isn't their sole mission, it's easier to, to go into a centralized framework like a prime brokerage model. And so that's what we're building at BlockFi for our institutional clients. And I, I want to actually turn a question to Sven because I think State Street announced a partnership with Pure Digital and also just wanted to check in on their aspirations. 
in terms of where he sees the roadmap for State Street going? That, that's a tough question. Maybe very briefly on, on Pure Digital. So that's my colleagues in our Kernex division. So they're providing training platforms and related technology services to a number of platforms. And so what are institutional investors looking for? They are looking for the ease and convenience of uh, some of the traditional setups. And that's hopefully what uh, Pure Digital is trying to do, looking to set up a cryptocurrency marketplace solely for uh, institutional and regulated investors. We are seeing where asset managers are trying to provide products that on the one hand side give exposure to crypto, but a, the, the investor doesn't have to go through uh, the process of investing in the underlying crypto themselves. They don't have to deal with the key management and all of the things. And also importantly, the trading and settlement of these products goes through the established uh, exchanges, clearinghouses and CSDs. And so basically there's no change effort. Uh, if you have a bank account or progress account, you can buy uh, those uh, securities. There is an interesting aspect to this uh, and sometimes you shouldn't underestimate the still the, the, the nascency of that market and what it means for our industry. So whilst these products like these exchange-traded products for crypto assets are quite popular in a number of European markets, they're also big and important markets that have an outright ban for retail investors like the FCA in the UK. So by no means is this a foregone conclusion. So our strategy really is about being part of that journey that we're seeing slowly to be of interest for a number of institutional investors. I would still say that if we are looking at who's invested in these products and at what at what level, it is still, from my perspective, more in the hedge fund asset owner space and the traditional real money asset managers are starting to look at crypto, but there's a long way to go before it becomes mainstream in, in that area. That brings me on to my next question, which is really around how regulation is going to revolve around this, because you know, as it grows, it attracts more attention. But it seems the regulators are warming to crypto from maybe where they were a couple of years ago, where this isn't going to become a mainstream asset. How do you see the relationship with the regulators evolving over the next two years? The FCA has its hands full with probably other things and, and same with the, the PRA and Bank of England. So from someone who's in the crypto industry, it's been disappointing to see the evolution of the regulation. We definitely like it to be somewhat more constructive. There was obviously the white paper put out on crypto derivatives and, and a request for comment. 90% of the commenters said that they could be offered in some risk managed way. And then the FCA just went and said, actually, we're going to ban them. So that the conversation hasn't been fruitful so far. It's something that ultimately BlockFi would like to be a, a part of those conversations. And we see ourselves as a good actor in the space and wanting to do the right thing for investors and not necessarily give people the opportunity to blow out their savings, but create savings for them. And so perhaps we can help in, the, in that journey. Micah on, in Europe is, is sensible and, and seems to be a bit more thought through, but it's going to take years to get into fruition. So now it's country by country regulation, and it's tough to operate in Europe at the moment. I would, which seems to echo what you're saying, Sven. I mean, if you've got more people who have come from a, an institutional background, do you think that will give regulators more comfort that 
this is a mature product managed by industry veterans. So inevitably, you're talking the same language as the regulators. Do you think that has an impact? Uh, it, it may, but also a big part of it is who's the underlying investor. So also in the UK, as an individual, you're allowed to buy Bitcoin. What's not allowed is to create financial instruments around that and then sell them to retail investors in different markets, uh, even on, on that questions, so look at this uh, differently. A big part of this is if you think about the deregulated asset management industry, like your pension fund, there are quite strict guidelines and roles and responsibilities, how you ensure the safety of those assets. And for good reasons, because your pension depends on it. And the question is, if it's not so much about um, can certain crypto assets be part of uh, the, the individual investment portfolio, but to what extent can financial organizations provide, if you want, structural products around crypto assets and under what uh, circumstances? And the pricing is one aspect already, but there are also things around take the ownership as a custodian, depending on the asset type. If an asset manager purchases something, we have to confirm that ownership has been achieved and when that was. And, and the reason being, you want to make sure that the assets are safe and secure. How do you do this with an asset like Bitcoin, which has a probabilistic uh, finality? So you have to wait for a few blocks to be updated, etc. So the way that crypto sometimes operate doesn't really align well with the traditional market where if you buy an equity on a stock exchange as a custodian, I have a securities account, I book that transaction and account and finality is achieved. So the, the question to some extent with regulators at the moment, how do we translate our risk considerations or risk requirements that we have developed with a certain market structure in mind and to what extent are they still relevant going forward that is a process that will take some time requires a, david i quite like your point in terms of is it a high priority or low priority and that depends on, on a number of factors so mika is helpful because it's from the perspective that uh, it will create a common framework across a number of markets, but it also wouldn't underestimate that uh, problem either. It also creates a number of challenges in terms of creating quite detailed rules and requirements. So one of the areas is around the liability. So if you, as an organization, were to provide the safekeeping of crypto assets in future, subject to that proposed EU regime under NICA. You also take a liability if you want for the integrity of the code of Bitcoin. So if there's something wrong with it, so it will require quite a dialogue over the next couple of months or even years to really get to the bottom of that. But it's important that we resolve it in order to move forward. Um, just conscious of time and thinking, there is one question I would like to pose to you before we sum up. It's around ESGs, Bitcoin mining and the, the huge drain on electricity. I don't know whether it's true or not, but how do you square that circle in terms of the massive drive towards sustainability and ESG within products and then combining something which is potentially harmful to the environment in terms of an asset class, especially if it gets to scale? So, David, I'll pose that one to you as a starter. Here's what I would say is that there's from recent statistics that I've seen, and I, I can't quote the source immediately, but that something like 50% of Bitcoin's mind are already using sustainable energy. So it's definitely something that people are conscious of. The problem will solve itself as products are launched, especially institutional investors will demand that the Bitcoin is sourced from or can be attributed to sustainable mining. It's a good opportunity for the asset management industry, actually. So ESG has been uh, a big theme that the asset management industry has picked up on as a way to differentiate themselves from 
appears there might be a Bitcoin ETF that's a sustainable Bitcoin ETF, which trades at a higher price than others. Certainly the Western world is quite keen on that. Ultimately, the kind of the problem will solve itself through supply and demand. Ultimately, the same will come under the same scrutiny that producers in the West do. What I'm hearing is it's another problem to be overcome. And with the Silicon Valley mindset, no problem is unsolvable. Is that how State Street see it? Or is this a consideration in your product offering? It's an important uh, subject. And, uh, and I would say it is indeed a challenge that needs to be resolved. And I would just say two things on this. So coming back to what we discussed earlier, different crypto assets fare differently in, in terms of ESG, and that's uh, driven by the consensus uh, mechanism. So, I mean, by design, Bitcoin is, is trying to make it difficult for computer power, so therefore energy consumption is always high. The other thing that for me personally is, is quite important uh, not to lose sight of is this question ESG is not just about environmental impact, it's also about governance. And uh, sustainable mining for me then has multiple dimensions. One indeed would be the, the energy, energy consumption used, but also where are these uh, mining entities located? Are they subject to any regulation? Yes or no? And, and there you, at the moment there's another almost geopolitical aspect to this in terms of if you look at where a lot of the mining is taking place today versus where the investors are, there's somewhat a mismatch because you have uh, in some instances uh, quite important mining happening in sanctioned countries and things like that. So we need to also think about that aspect. And just one last point on that from my side, just mentioned regulation earlier on. That piece of how mining has to happen under what circumstances in our miners subject, for instance, to any AML consideration sets completely unresolved yet. Anywhere in the world, you can look, all kinds of aspects are being regulated when it comes to crypto, from trading, from custody, from other services, but not mining. We need to tackle this in order to make sure that crypto assets fare you know, appropriately within an ESG framework. Absolutely. Clean crypto. That's It's been a, a fascinating uh, journey into crypto. As usual, I try and get three key points I've pulled out of this. And I'll start with what you Sven, when you gave us your intro, you talked about the environment in terms of the move into passive funds, fee compression, and ultimately there's a, a cultural change in your, the client base, particularly millennials who are prepared to look at a different asset class. And that's what's driving this, this move into this market, especially for players such as yourselves. The second point is about this, I call it the evolving ecosystem, which players like BlockFi, Coinbase, along with State Street and a lot of other third parties providing what ultimately could be delivered through a prime brokerage in terms of a full service for people. This ecosystem will provide them with that offering as a whole. And finally, we've talked about regulation and how that is evolving along with any other environmental and governance concerns. And the fact that that's going to be, the engagement is there, but it's going to take maybe a couple of years for that to get to where we want it. Thank you for your time today and uh, decoding the evolving crypto asset market and offering. Uh, and I'll be watching with great interest at how BlockFi and State Street have developed this in this space over the next month and years. To our listeners, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and what was, I hope uh, you will agree, a fascinating insight into a fast-moving asset class that is evolving in our industry and hopefully some thoughts you can take back to your workplace in 2021. We look forward to grabbing another cup of coffee with Algamy Consulting with you all in the next in our series of podcasts on the theme of optimism with caution in the wealth and asset management industry. If you want to discuss this podcast further with us, have any questions, or would even like to be part of our series Optimism with Caution, please get in touch with us through inquiries 
at alchemy-consulting.com or via LinkedIn Alchemy Consulting. Thank you and goodbye.